Holy poop. I think I hear Graham Goodwin on the other end of the line. I don't know where he is. He's somewhere in the world. But if I'm talking to you, that must mean we are now officially recording an episode of the Weekend Sports Cars brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Does any of that sound real? Or is it all fake news? It's not fake news. I am here. I am somewhere in the world. I'm in Dubai, Dubai, do, uh, Dubai for this weekend's Dubai 24 hours. Uh, it is 7 o'clock in the morning here um, at my luxurious, not at all, uh, five-star hotel. Um, and all is good with the world. 50 cars assembled for... Uh, this fine event here in the desert and looking forward to that enormously at the day of the track yesterday back there in just a couple of hours time how are you marshall pruitt oh how am i marshall pruitt you know it's a question many people ask how uh, are you very, marshall pruitt? It's a big that, question. it makes no sense how you are marshall pruitt uh i'm well my mrs pruitt made it very very clear when i told her honey i'll see you in like as short amount of time as i can but i need to go start recording the week in sports cars at 7 p.m when she's ready to eat and so uh i'm in trouble well yeah so we're 12 hours apart you're just getting up although i think your body clock is off uh you have showered something our listeners didn't know so let that just think about that for a moment uh you have caffeinated yourself which is great i have um uh, I'm going to do did a. F- did, by the way, yes. Marshall did something yet yeah, last night before bedtime. Did three things I've not been able to do. Oh Jesus! For, this again. This is you know, know. This is a family show, Goodwin. <laughs> wow, what are you doing? The, the, the last six months, six months. I don't think I've managed to do any of these three things. Uh, answers on Twitter as to what you think they might be. Uh, but to help you, uh, one was a beer in a bar. Um, one was a pizza in the same bar and the third and I can tell you right now the missus is going to be pleased with this one I've had a haircut what? Um, so fantastic yes served my time in the in um, in COVID jail here uh, and then after that with due process you know and masked up etc etc so fantastic feeling great I've lost about or oh, I should think several pounds worth of hair from the top of my head it's that one thing about guys of a certain age you either lose it all or it all comes all over um, so yeah Swansea actually got me looking a little bit like a kind of silver topped gorilla um, we're back now to a degree of normality and my I do look fine well I can't see you but my mind is wandering, and I'm sure you do. I am overdue for a haircut. Unfortunately, all such things are shut down here in terms of being able to get that done. But my hair is so long, it not only lands on my shoulders, it curls up and around Ooh. once, if not twice. Yes. How very renaissance of you. Well, or just <laughs> Californian, bro. Uh, all right, so you're in Dubai. We are doing this while you're in your hotel room because it has the good goodest uh, Wi-Fi goodest. signal, so that's go- good. Uh, I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done on this show, which is open a Ooh. beer. And it's not one with Ooh. a cap. It's an actual pull top. This is sent to us by wow. a member of the Prue Day, the kind of sub-slash-cult of listeners who scare the living crap out of me. Uh, this is from <laughs> Triton Brewing Company, a Deadeye Stout. Uh, let me take a sip here and tell you whether it's going to light off the show or uh, get poured down the drain. 
Ah, it's not bad. Yeah, you know, Ooh, uh, I, I'm I'm going to give that at least a half thumbs up. Uh, Graham Goodwin. So we normally have four categories we fart through on the show. Uh, have you figured out, by the way, that instead of doing more serious intros, more serious stuff, now that we've reached a thousand episodes and I figure we've got a little bit of staying power, I've just given up. I truly don't even give the smallest right, of crap. Just, but uh, it's that, I think I think you'll find that stout is already making an impact. <laughs> I might be snoring here in a moment. Um, IMSA, WEC, as uh, American American Asian Le Mans series, European Le Mans series, ACO affairs in general is the second category. We have general, which we tend to pronounce in a somewhat German accent as Hagenerau, as someone who's watched way too many World War II movies and documentaries. And then we have fun. Where should we go first? And should we get into those four categories first, or should we start with topical stuff? Well, I think we, I think we'll have a bit of a trot through. There's what three or four pretty big news stories of the the last three or four days, some of which are going to be covered in questions. We can we can uh, move forward with those. A couple of which are stateside. Uh, what's what? I mean, what are the big stories stateside from from your view, MP? I mean, uh, there's a couple of pretty sizable ACO stories um, on my agenda, both of which are going to be covered in the questions. The first sight. Uh, official site of the new Toyota uh, hypercar and uh, as announced yesterday uh, and uh, oddly enough uh, very pertinent to where I'm sitting right now um, substantial changes to the calendar for next month's um, Asia Le Mans series but what are the stories your side of the pond first of all it's called the TS060 right <laughs> no see no, it's called the GR yeah the GRO 10 or T. I'm just going to call it Groot because I can at least keep that. Ooh, I can figure that I am out. Groot. It is it's Groot. It's the Toyota I'm Groot. Yes. The, there gaz- you go. the Gazoo Groot or Groot Gazoo. One of the two. Someone in there. Uh, it's a double G, Mr. Double G here. Uh, I would say the big thing that jumps out, since it's new ish, maybe. Uh, obviously, we saw today IMSA push out their Roar slash Rolex 24 entry list, which has 50 cars on it. We've trailed that a little bit in the last you week did? or two. We thought, I did think, I'd heard heard that we might be 51, 52, but it looks like 50 is indeed the magic number. I wouldn't say that's the top thing, though. Kind of knew that was coming. The main thing that I've heard anew, or a plenty, something we also, I think, spoke about in the last episode, hey, that beautiful... FIA World Endurance Championship that you cover nonstop and I cover somewhat and love that has announced it is starting its season in March at the awesome 3.56 mile Sebring road course. Uh, yeah, I have been told by more than one source that come Monday, there will be an yep. announcement saying, guess what? Uh, if you are a big fan of the WEC at Sebring and had planned to go there in 2021 to see them race. Well, don't. So WEC not starting its season in America. Do you have any insight about where it could kick off? Uh, I think the answer is it, in the current state of affairs in Europe, it would not be a surprise if that's the case. Risk reduction, I think, is the 
uh, key phrase at the moment. Um, you know, are countries shutting down? Yes, they are. Is it becoming more difficult to travel across borders? Yes, it is. Um, yeah, it's going to be matters like the availability of um, uh, the the transport routes to get to and from. It's going to be as well, MP, and very critically here, the need for people to quarantine, not self-isolate, but to quarantine on return from various places that are going to be major parts of the discussion about whether or not the risk reduction needs to be. Um, I know we've got a couple of questions about it, but I think if you're looking towards some of the established circuits in southern Europe, whether or not that be Portimao, whether or not it be Barcelona, Paul Ricard, I know at least one team has... Uh, but said publicly they expect Monza to be uh, under consideration, and I, th- I think probably not. Uh, but the the answer is I think it, it, the sensible move to make, having made the decision not to go to uh, Sebring. And by the way, I absolutely agree if that's been the decision um, at the moment. It's it's effectively a complication and a set of risks that we don't need to take right now. Um, that uh, I think we're probably looking at uh, familiar ground in Southern Europe. I don't think there will be any... Once the the decision is officially made, and I think I agree with you that it will be, um, then I think we're probably heading somewhere in Southern Europe, which means I'm going to fire up the Quattro. Yes. So interesting stuff there. You just mentioned the whole travel and access part. Yeah. Had a conversation with a highly skilled sports car driver today who told me they have lost a ride due to the team's belief that that driver would struggle to gain access to the various countries uh, being traveled within the LMEM family of motor racing championships and learned was this decision made Graham based on conversations with that driver. No, <laughs> the team just assumed, and I'm not getting into oh, who wow. it is or where they're located, uh, but was, yeah, informed the team just assumed that they wouldn't be able to go to name all the various places um, and said, well, we're going to just choose someone else who we think can. And the driver was like, wow, well, that's a wedge of money. I won't be earning that. I was really counting on. And thanks for, ask telling me telling asking me however you want to put it team just figured eh, we don't think they can you're out and just told them uh as a as a matter of fact so yeah uh weird stuff ahead what about you on the weckety weck in general european racing side in terms of bits to cover off up front before we go categorize ourselves there is there is plenty going on but i think we could get into questions because a lot of those bits yeah a lot of those bits and pieces are covered off by (sighs) questions Uh, it is again i mean the news cycle just isn't quitting you know despite you know uh, the world rolling on a pace you know the uh the the little niche that we occupy here in the world of uh, you know global endurance uh, racing it isn't quitting uh, and the one thing i will say is a kind of an overall statement here number one your, your story about the driver that's really quite sad but i think we're going to see more of that uh, you know it, it is i think at the moment people are de-risking programs i think is what's going on uh, the fact that uh, particularly i don't know what it's like stateside but certainly here you know say here in europe i'm not in europe but uh, and the european based series the inability to be absolutely certain of a plan for the year 
it's, you know, I think basically people are trying to look through all the known knowns and some of the no, the known unknowns and are trying to get to the stage where they're as close as they possibly can to a program. Uh, and that, that's, and that's, that's really sad if that's cost somebody a job, which is exactly what's happened in this particular instance. But I can sort of understand why. The problem is the enemy at the moment, I've said this before on the Week in Sports Cars, but I'll say it again right now, the enemy at the moment is the inability to accurately plan. Um, evidenced by the fact that we've now got a confirmed calendar for the first of the ACO series to kick off and for that matter to finish this year. And, well, up until last week, I was planning to stay here for another two, three weeks for the start of that season. That's how close we are uh, to it. I mean, I could literally walk around to restaurants, hairdressers and um, and hotels and make reservations now for my friends in the the Asia Le Mans series uh, team that will be here in three weeks. Um, uh, and we've, you know, it's a fundamental change to the calendar and, and ab- as we get into in questions, an absolutely correct one. So lots going on. It's happening really very quickly. And I think we are still going to see a process of pretty, sh- uh, pretty short notice change because things are moving extraordinarily quickly. An example, MP, that occurs to me right now. I arrived very late Monday night in Dubai. I was uh, at the airport, by the way, completely different terminal to the one we'd normally use because the normal terminal is closed. There's not enough traffic to justify it. I was literally picking my bag from the conveyor. My phone pinged. I went to look at the phone, and that was a news alert saying the travel corridor that means that we don't have to quarantine uh, coming back from the UAE had closed. So that was within moments of me officially arriving in the country i know that i've now got a quarantine for two weeks coming home which is something i didn't have to do six hours before that jeez I mean, and it's listen. like that everywhere at the yeah. moment. that that i think it's a microcosm of the challenges that are facing the the teams and the race organizers worldwide right now i mean the other thing that stands out as fascinating brother which i'm hoping hoping you can expand on Tell us about your passion of walking around and into hairdressers booking various appointments. Uh, we're not oh. just going to leave that one on the vine. Um, Man, I mean, it's, it's it, it, you know what? It, it, it's, it's a strange thing. It's almost like celebrate the normal, um, celebrating normality. And, you know, and oddly enough, there was a conversation uh, with a couple of drivers in the paddock yesterday about that. But one, because it looked like I had a badly kind of composed hay- haystack on top of my head, albeit not the colour of hay, rather more the colour color of silver string. But, you know, it is it is a strange thing. When normality is removed, what is it you miss? And um, there's all sorts. There's all sorts. Uh, I am enjoying being away from the UK for a few days. It'll be great to get back to see um, Trudy and Husky, not necessarily in that order. Sorry, Trudy. Um, but it, it's... Should it we tell folks story. that Husky is your dog, not your nickname for your co-host of the Week in Sports Cars? <laughs> Husky. Uh, yeah, but, uh, it, <laughs> but it, it's, it is a weird time. And sad though it is to hear stories like driver missing out because of an assumption, I don't think that's the last time we're going to hear it. It's a straight answer. I think we've got a ways to go yet to get to a point where what we used to regard as kind of the, the, the normal is actually back to being every day. 
going to say two things and then you kick us into whatever category we're going to rock very first. Uh, one, thank you, Graham Goodwin. I am greatly appreciative of you. I love the fact that you went on a couple of rants last week about things that bothered you in a societal capacity. And I only saw positive responses to that on social media. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you for being that person. Second, I want to tell folks that one of the requests that we received uh, late in December during the end of the, almost end of the off season was, Hey, let's do some more talking with people. So I've got three episodes of catching up with coming. Uh, all three of Excellent. them are all sports cars or close to sports, uh, semi sports car related. Uh, the first being with the amazing Lynn St. James. Uh, the second Ooh. with a guy who's my muse. I make fun of him all the time. He kicks the crap out of me verbally whenever we see each other. That would be the amazing Juan Monterrier, a.k.a. Juan Montoya. <laughs> Had a great chat about uh, upcoming Rolex 24 opportunity, uh, what European opportunity in general with Dragon Speed, then also his uh, Indy 500 effort. Uh, and then just this morning, I think, captured a catching up with episode with one of my favorite people. That is the amazing Joao Barbosa. And Oh, fantastic. Not only did we discuss his new opportunity in LMP3, which is slightly comical, like the most overqualified guy ever. Um, <laughs> we got as far into it as he was comfortable. And that, that's a key thing to mention about how his 2020 season went sideways. And... It looked on the surface to be strictly related to performance and a loss of performance on his end. And what I really wanted to do, and he opened up a little bit about, was there's some pretty serious extenuating circumstances on the home front that led to that. And that's just not something we hear about much in our sport. So uh, you get to hear that here shortly. Uh, But yeah, I really appreciate Joao being willing to, you know, crack open something that previously he really had not wanted to. So I got those three items coming here shortly, but they're not going to land before whatever the hell kind of category we start with, Graham Goodwin. What is it? What are we doing? Well, it's going to be IMSA, and I'm hoping I can add to the pile, uh, by the way. Why do you do this to me every week? Yeah, of, of coming to, um, you know, reviving aspects of the Marshall Pruitt podcast, uh, I am here, recorder in hand, not right now, um, and I've got a couple of targets, and maybe we'll see if opportunity uh, allows whether or not we can reintroduce, because I am, inside the sports car paddock this week. Um, so watch this space for that one. There's a couple of very interesting characters with potentially very good stories to tell here in Dubai. Uh, we will see whether or not they're prepared to tell them. If they are, we'll bring them to you. There we so go. So it is. Yes. And we're going to kick off with a couple of questions uh, from another. We always like to see this. Um, Brian Dotar, a first-time questioner. Happy man raising one hand. Thanks, Brian. Colton Herter, 
<laughs> with the Turner GTD entry was interesting and awesome for Will Turner. But what's going on with RLL? We're weeks away, and it's been quiet from BMW. And listen, I missed something. A similar question as well from certainly not a first-time question, but more than welcome to be back again this week. Matt Nida asking, BMW GTLM, what's happening, Marshall Brewer? Uh, I'm shaking my virtual fist at you. Uh, please. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying it's quality content. I would never make that claim. But I do take time to write things and post them on my main client site, racer.com. And I tell you, some of it's eh, some of it's not so bad. And among the stuff that's not so bad has been something for the last two months, I think since early November, I've been writing yep. and saying BMW Team RLL, the factory arm of BMW Motorsport in, in IMSA in GTLM will not be competing as a full-time endeavor. And so that is the thing I told you months ago. It's still the thing. I continue to write about it and will continue to say so. We believe it could be confirmed by the end of the week uh, in terms of BMW actually formally saying that. But it's become one of those worst-kept-secret type deals. So I'm playing a little bit with the please read my crap because, uh, you know, clearly you all have some standards, although you do listen to this show. But been saying for a while, uh, we are not going to have the same old normal BMW team RLL presence in IMSA in 2021. And that is the same as I said the first time and have written many times since and said many times on the show here. So the only thing that sticks out is why are we almost at the frickin' roar before the 24 and the manufacturer has not confirmed it? I can't tell you. Uh, I've asked, and, you know, it's their prerogative to answer or not answer fully and clearly. So that's that. Uh, would say Brandon, Brandon, good Lord, or Brian, one of the two. Uh, Brian, thank you again for being a first-time questioner would say that with the changes to the BMW factory program and its presence here in IMSA only doing the endurance races this year, the composition of the team and who all they bring on, Colton being, while well, part of the team, for sure, or a winner of the Rolex 24 in GTLM on his debut with the team, uh, let's just say not a full factory driver, meaning he's with them all year long, doing something all year long, more of a drop-in visitor. Doesn't surprise me that Colton, uh, in that capacity, uh, has basically been loaned out or lent to Turner, and I would expect the BMW team RLL lineup to be true, hardcore, full-time factory drivers only. So, yeah, uh, just filed a little opinion. It's an opinion piece or a commentary piece, whatever you want to call it, uh, about, look... GTLM, as you all probably know, as I've said many times on this show and written many times, it's my favorite class. It's been my favorite class forever, uh, you know, since they formed it. But I've loved it, but it's over. It's done, and it's time for IMSA to formally make that shift. It's not going to happen this year, obviously. We have entries coming. There are going to be six cars in GTLM at Daytona, probably five at Sebring, but only three at the seven standard-length races. Of the 11 rounds, for them Enduros, that'll be slightly increased car count, Graham. But really, the majority of IMSA's races this year, we're going to have three 
GTLM cars. Only one of only one entrant, a true full factory program, that being Corvette. The other, a single car entry that we know about, is a privateer, factory supported, but privateer nonetheless. It's just time. And so BMW, there's a link to this. And BMW basically saying, okay, uh, we're needing to step back. We are not willing to keep doing this at the full season level in GTLM. That message I know has been delivered more than once. And the expected reaction, I mean, I I can't imagine how they don't do this, Graham. And that is IMSA say, okay, this is GTLM swan song. Enjoy it while it lasts for this final year. We'll be back next year with no GTLM. We don't have the car count to validate that decision. And we're going to do the thing you and I discuss all the time. And, and we have more questions about here. And that is GTD Pro and GTD Pro Am. GT3 Pro, GT3 Plus, whatever you want to call it. Yep. We're just going to transition the pure factory GTLM uh, regulations into, all right, we're going to amp up GT3 a little bit and let the factories play there. So all these things kind of feed into one another, Matt and Brian, about why we're not going to see BMW full-time this year. Uh, do we expect them to come back next season and play in GTD Pro and do that with one of their brand-new M4 GT3s? If anyone's taking odds on that, put your money down now because I'd say that looks almost like a sure thing. You'd tend to think so, wouldn't you? Let's move on. A uh, couple of questions and another first-time question. What? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, it's uh, pretty similar here. One of our long-time uh, listeners in question asked us, James Counter, and also a first-time questioner who comes under the exceptional mon- moniker of I Like Cars uh, at MS ups, uh, uh, underscore updates 88. I Like Turtles. Um, first-time questioner. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um McLaren's announcement they've secured the option to join Formula E for the 2022-2023 season has come a surprise. Does this move dampen the likelihood they'll join uh, LMD Husky? Apologies to Oscar. As early as 2023, James says the same. Do you think it reduces the likelihood of us seeing a sports car in the first half of this decade from the guys in Woking in England? Aye, 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 aye. When I read the same announcement y'all did, this is where my brain went to as well. So <clears throat> Formula One, we know that they've been on a hybrid formula for, what, six, seven, however many years now. It's great. It's not a real major promotional point. Yep. Formula One being as extreme as it is in terms of speed and performance and glitz and all that. Again, the hybrid angle's cool. Eh, it's not really something you hear spoken about from any of the brands like, oh, Boy, this is a huge keystone that we hit in every conversation. IMSA has nothing at the moment to offer. IndyCar has nothing at the moment to offer, at least for what's possible a couple of years down the road. We know that in 2023, IMSA, LMDH, which could also be used in Europe, running in the WAC, LMDH, will be a spec 40-horsepower hybrid, uh, hybrid electric motor. Meh, not super exciting. IndyCar? Theirs, while spec, is supposed to be about double that power, maybe even more, 80 to 100 electric horsepower. So there are some things a couple years down the road, but I don't think either of those, knowing that McLaren, uh, whose window of eligibility to potentially 
kind of sort of maybe if they want to join formula e and i just paraphrase their entire press release we have an option of a possibility of a thing of a maybe um this jumped out to me as oh this makes me think that lmdh as a real feasible thing probably isn't going to happen because the hybrid angle the e side of things this gets answered best by doing formula e I'm not saying it's the best thing that we all love and Formula E makes us all just jump up and down and be super happy. But I do think if they're trying to fill that space in competition of we are electric and carbon neutral and friends of the environment and responsible, you're going to do that best by kicking off a Formula E campaign and marketing the living snot out of it. So I don't have insights from McLaren that this is a fact. The two of you are reading the tea leaves in the same way that I am, which says, oh, if they're doing this, I don't think LMDH is going to happen. Well, I'll add one little snippet to this one, uh, MP, which is a conversation not with Zach Brown, but actually his partner in other motorsport crimes at United Autosports with Richard Dean uh, when I visited uh, in November uh, United Autosports. They, together with Andretti, are entering Extreme E, which if you're not aware of what Extreme E is, take a look on the web, but it's uh, off-road with um, uh, all-electric buggies, EV buggies. And the interesting thing that Richard said there, now bear in mind, we've said repeatedly, one of the successes of United Autosports, not just in terms of winning silverware, is activating the kind of the budgets that it requires to get there. It is not Zach Brown turning up on a Monday with another sack of cash to throw in through the door. That's not the way that organization operates. Um, What was interesting for Richard was his astonishment at the level of interest he had found commercially in getting behind Extreme E. In other words, he's finding sponsorship for that effort in ways in which and at levels in which he was not able to do with even their highly effective uh, commercial operations in sports car racing. Now, I wonder, because, of course, if you think about uh, what Zap Brown actually did to get him to the point where he is, it was all about advertising, marketing, etc. That's where he came into the picture, uh, his, his level that he operates in the, the business of motorsport right now. If If... You know, if Richard Dean is saying that to me, he's saying that with numbers attached to it to Zach, and I wonder whether or not that's had a major part to play in him going, hmm, maybe right now is the sweet spot. Uh, I personally hope not. I'd love to see McLaren in uh, in LMDH uh, worldwide. Uh, we'll be sniffing around and see whether or not uh, our sources are saying the same as other sources are saying, uh, and it's more than an option uh, and actually a plan for Formula E. But I struggle to disagree with you that there is some common sense behind that, albeit perhaps with a little more meat on those bones. I need Move to on. call you out for the constant use of personally in this show, by the way. Did I say it's me not, personally? Oh, you did. No, you said I personally, but it's not oh. even done ironically. It just you've fallen prey to this. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll I'll have to watch that one. Right, I let's personally get into... will have to watch that one. Absolutely. Come on, Goodwin. 
Tyler Cole is a name I've seen before, I believe, but not often. But so uh, welcome back, Tyler. Uh, and he points in the direction points in the direction of Ollie Gavin and says, do you anticipate, Marshall Perrett, Ollie Gavin's drive with Lexus and GTD at the Rolex 24 will be the start of him being a super sub for major events like the Nürburgring, Le Mans, Spa, etc. Would love to see the lanky Englishman try out some more non-Corvette machinery. It won't be the start because he has done it before, by the way. Um, put out a little tweet in, the, in, the, in uh, this week uh, that showed a few of the GT3 cars that, uh, that Ollie's driven before. He was uh, part of an Audi effort at... Bathurst for a couple of years. He's driven the Camaro and the Corvettes GT3s in the Adduct GT Masters and also part of Barwell's Lamborghini effort a couple of years, a few years back now at, uh, at where was that? That was Spa 24 as well, uh, lest people forget. A one-off appearance for Aston Martin and GTE Pro in the um, WEC at Cota a few years back. But what do you think? What, what has Ollie got in his near future, Marshall Pruitt? Sounds like a GT strumpet to me. He'll sell his behind where whoever's paying. Yeah. What's up with that, Gavin? Um, he's got kids, I understand. He's got to pay for all that. Yeah. Two things I can share, Tyler. I would, yes, expect his name to pop up at some of the type of events you mentioned. I was surprised when I asked the Vassar Sullivan Lexus team, hey, Holly Gavin, Rolex 24. Holy crap. It's the biggest signing in your three-year existence. And this is someone who can do massive things for you, right? Not just behind the wheel, but his nickname at Corvette Racing was The Captain. They certainly did not just rely on Ollie to turn the steering wheel and whatnot. He was a huge, huge player internally policies, practices, do this better, how should we do that, right? This is a guy who, along with many other people there, but as a driver, he was integral in making that team all that it is uh, while he's been there. So I said, boy, Rolex 24 is amazing that you've gotten him. What are the odds of him coming back for more? And was told we would have him at Every race, even though we don't have a seat for him everywhere, we love to hire him to be on the headset, to be in all the meetings, and right? Tune us up as a team and load us with all the best ways to do things so we can take uh, another step forward. Non option. And I didn't get any real details on it. The way it was delivered to me, it didn't sound like Oliver lacked interest in such things, but it just sounded like this. Like the tweet you mentioned of multiple one-off outings uh, in non-Corvette-related things, sounded like this one-off is certainly a thumbs-up. More with the same brand, same team, sounded like that was a bit too much. I don't pretend to know contracts and this is and that's and the others, but uh, what I thought they would want and they mentioned yes gosh we'd love to have ollie uh here just to make us better in any way right now it sounds like he is one and done after the rolex 24 with the team so it does just make me wonder what freedoms he does or does not have to play in non-corvette uh based things hmm well we'll have to uh 
What can we say? Good to get him very drunk and, and ask the question. I think is the next one there. But uh, good, great, great to have him back at uh, the Rolex Twenty Four. Um, and actually, following on that field, um, Chad Randall, hi Chad, says, "Is the GTD field for Daytona shaping up to be one of the strongest ever?" Uh, in particular, he says, "There's a lot of top-level drivers running well below their talent level." Uh, Oliver Ooh. Gavin, Earl Bamba. And uh, Lawrence Vanter, to name just a few. Well, that might win snootiest question of the early <laughs> years so far, Chad. I Rest tell you. GT3 Pro. Yeah, wow. Great point, though. Uh, not necessarily about the running below their talent level. Look, drivers go where they are paid to go. I mean, they're pros and they're hired to do what they do. And, of course, we always want to see them in the biggest, fastest things to demonstrate their crazy skills. But... To your point, strongest ever, I think we could say that with ease. Heck, I think we've got the best LMP2 field ever in IMSA, not just Rolex 24, but, and I'm talking IMSA, not Miracle Le Mans series days, but, you know, have we ever seen this kind of driver talent there, etc.? I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. So, yes, we have the three factory gtlm drivers you've mentioned coming out of the 2020 season who are filtering down we have many of the long established badasses from pat longs to brian sellers to on andy lally and on and on and on uh boy yes i would say without a doubt trailing something that we are picking up on something graham that we mentioned in the last couple of episodes i feel for the producers of the Rolex 24 at Daytona because if there was ever a year to do a here are five different live streams to pick up and we have, you know, instead of one camera at this position by turn one and one, like, we have five cameras in every location so they can solely focus on each of the five classes to give you the five live streams to pick up, this would be the year. Um, I'm not saying that LMP3 is going to be a barn burner. We expect half of those things, if not more, to just not even make the finish. But point being, across the board, this is just looking like a pretty darn amazing year. Uh, Maybe three cameras, maybe four, but at least three cameras at each position. So we could say maybe three streams. We know LMP2. We know GTD, uh, you know, GTLM will be okay. DPI is always pretty darn good. They beat one another up uh, fairly well, but this is a year. And GTD, I think, is going to end up being the most ragged class of all. The one that if we could have a standalone feed, if we could only pick one, I'd say GTD would probably be the clear, clear winner in any poll. Um, move on, and a couple of questions here about well, a couple of questions rather from Jamie Bender. Feels like he's like he's asked us this question every couple of months. Yeah, uh, since the gear team fell apart. Any word on Cat Leg and Christian uh, Christy Nilsson, whether or not they'll be back in IMSA for this year? He finds it hard to believe former champ like Nilsson, a badass driver like Cat Leg, can't find a ride in GTD, LMP2, or maybe even LMP3. He says, "Is this a case of the good old boys club keeping them at bay?" Or is there just that much new talent out there where they can't find a ride? Or is it commercial reality at the moment, uh, MP? I'm going to take a sip of beer. 
Um, Jamie Becker, you've asked the question before. You've asked the question again. I have heard, have it on pretty good authority, that the two ass-kicking women you have mentioned will indeed be participating in the Rolex 24 at Daytona. I am not inclined to mention with to mention the team uh, that they will drive for. I can tell you that <clears throat> I have heard news confirming who they'll be driving for, what class, and whether it's for the Rolex 24 or the entirety of the season is imminent. Do I know if that means Friday or early next week? Hopefully sometime before the green flag at the Rolex 24 Daytona. Um, I don't know exactly when, but I do know that with the entry list for the race set to come here very soon, today's entry list for the Roar, which we know the Roar is mandatory for teams intending to take part in the Rolex 24, therefore, although it is the, quote, Roar entry list, we know that this is the race entry list as well. It only listed teams and manufacturer and such. No drivers listed in any of the boxes. Vast majority, as we know, Jamie, across all five classes, have announced, nominated, made it known who's driving for them. Uh, Catherine and Christina right now are not among those who fall into that category, but I do know that, yes, indeed, uh, they are meant to be part of the race and can't wait for that to, again, become public knowledge here soon. Quick quick question, and be on a point of detail. Uh, when we've got, for instance, the WC prologue test, by regulation, the teams have to be there, but they can bring one and not two cars. Is it the same for the Raw and IMSA, or must it be every car? In other words, is it fixed at 50, or could we find a one-car team bringing two cars for the race week? Why are you asking something I don't know just to further reinforce the point that you do the show with an idiot? I don't know. Actually, (laughs) I don't know, but I I guess I I mean, it would seem less likely bearing in mind that it's so close to race week itself. They have changed the regulations um, to do that. Yes. I would assume that it is meant for every entry that's coming in needs to be there. And I would just say that based upon the fact that they're having a qualifying race. And that qualifying okay. race will indeed set God, the order. So apologies. No, no, no. If I had thought the question through when you asked it uh, the, immediately, I, that would have come to mind and I would have answered, but I didn't, so I didn't, and I failed. Uh, but, yes, I would. we would have to assume that under the new qualifying rule. Can I tell you how fun it was trying to explain the new qualifying rules to our pal Juan Montoya before we started recording, by the way, I probably should have recorded. Oh, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can we just pause for just three or four seconds to allow the listeners to imagine that moment? So this is Marshall Pruitt <laughs> explaining a complicated set of rules about qualifying to Juan Pablo Montoya and start thinking, posing that mental picture now. And insert a lot of curse words. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and those, and I wasn't the one cur- I might've cursed, but anyways, yeah, it was anyways. That's why I love the guy. Like we just have these kinds of conversations where you're like, uh, thank God this isn't live and no one's listening. Cause we'd probably both be fired. So anyways, good stuff there. All right. We have gone through the highlighted questions 
for IMSA, put together by our pal, a recent week in sports cars show debutant, debuter, first time, long time, Ryan Kish. Thank you, Ryan. Yes. Um, I'm going to comb through the remaining IMSA questions that did not get the bold uh, the bold application of love. Uh, let's see. What should we do here? It's a very uh, white song title in that, isn't it? The bold application of love. Yes. Uh, Ryan Terpstra asks, he says, the Prudet group found the French article listing Peugeot drivers. You mentioned it last week. I had to tell them, explain them what you done said with your mouth, which was auto ebdo, which doesn't necessarily translate to good phonetic figuring out uh he said okay. uh, i just was about to say yen magnuson kevin magnuson stood out on that list sure wc and imsa commitments work but a factory driver doesn't often get the okay to drive for another manufacturer so magnuson just one year canassi that is a question, question. i add yeah, is and one that had i gotten more work done today and had got to a freer point in time in my schedule i was meant to call and ask that very question because it done occurred to me as well uh right turn lover says prototype racing to go lmdh or to lmh and who will it be um i have no idea what you're talking about and if i'm honest about half the time i have no freaking idea what you're referring to my brother so but keep sending Uh, them in they're like word puzzles i can never solve i think the answer here is going to be defined does lmh have a future is going to be defined by one question or one answer and one answer only which is tota great and with absolutely due reverence to jim glickenhaus and to bike Hollis, but we're going to talk about the major uh oems that bring the big marketing bucks to racing uh, then we've got to talk about Toyota, and we've got to talk about Peugeot. That's 21 for Toyota, 22 for Peugeot. Whether or not LMH has got a future is going to be determined by one thing and one thing only, which is, is there going to be a third? Is there going to be a third major factory that commits to that rule set? If they do, then the answer is, it's going to be a thing, and it's going to be a thing for multi-year racing alongside LMDH in the uh, the WEC. If it's going to be two, still uh, still sustainable, but uh, might just actually figure less in the reckoning if we get the multiple, multiple OEMs committed to the LMDH rule set. We've got a very interesting couple of years ahead uh, in terms of the big news stories that will come forward about whether and whom will uh, commit to what in sports car racing. That That's the answer to the question, I think. I'm going to rattle through a couple others here and then close with one that's been submitted about 19 times and I, we got to get to it. So, uh, all right, we're going to start off with our pal, Ricky Zagata. What factors have led to the explosion in IMSA LMP2 entries this year? I am not sure, Ricky, if you're referring to Rolex 24, which has 10 or the full season, which we expect to be five ish or so. I'll just go with the Rolex 24. One, three at the moment, MP three at the moment. Three what? Uh, full season cars confirmed for LMP three two. You uh, LMP two yes. Okay three. three yeah. Sorry, I thought. Well, my number's a little bit higher, but who knows? Um, okay. Let's just go with the Rolex twenty four. I would say there's two things. One of them, Ricky, being uh, the downsize calendar for WEC in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, six races for the year 
We're talking budgets and theory for what teams have been accustomed to budgeting for in Europe. Uh, downsizing a bit, I would say that might open up some money to come across and play here for the first time for those that have not before. I'd also say there's been a really well, a seriously welcome interest in among drivers, especially those who are funded uh, to want to just simply come and do this. Um, I don't think we can disregard 2020 as a whole, leaving a number of folks either unfulfilled with how much racing they're able to do or maybe refocusing them a little bit on, hey, that's always been a bucket list item. Uh, what did yep. this year teach me? Don't wait. Go do it. So I know those are a little bit soft, like non-specific things, but these are the kinds of things that I've heard. As for full-season type stuff, for the entrants that have spoken to European and American, uh, the lack of conflicts and the desire to do some more of those IMSA to do more IMSA LMP2 races throughout the upcoming season has also been cited. Uh, let's go to Doogie Davies. It says, in reference to the Hyundai and TCR, what makes it so dominant? And you do ask, answer your own question here a little bit. And he says, the uh, i30N, for which the car is based, does not share its dominant ways with WTCR. He says, is this IMSA getting the BOP wrong? Well, if we are talking to all TCR teams in IMSA, and I guess looking back World Challenge as well, that ran something other than a Hyundai, the answer is BOP, 100%. And so all I hear from the non-Hyundai TCR camp is, we've been robbed, we've been murdered, what is wrong? It's 100% BOP. The other part that Doogie adds, which explains a pretty decent amount of it as well, says, or is this just Brunherd Autosport being that solid of a team where no amount of BOP is going to keep them out of the winner's circle? says, as a Hyundai Veloster and owner, I'm not complaining, but I do not want it to become a Hyundai-only class as watching them beat up on the other manufacturers is uh, what's most enjoyable, uh, and their continued dominance would almost certainly have teams second-guessing their entries. You're pretty darn solid here, too. There's two factors. The Brian Herta Autosport team is excellent. Uh, they had the great John Ward involved, designer of many amazing race cars. Prior to this, he was race engineer with the Falcon Tire program uh, in uh, GTLM uh, and such. But John's someone who's designed some of the world's great race cars, race engineer of some of the fastest things ever. Development, just like you wouldn't believe, perfect guy to be involved. They've added more engineering talent of late, but great team, truly great people in the roles of making these cars excellent. And then you have the other thing, which cannot be ignored, which is numbers. There have been a lot of Hyundais, as we know, in TCR, especially with the Brown Herta team. They have some other customer and affiliated teams as well. Honda had some good numbers as well in TCR last season. But I would just say there's something to a powerful team like Herta's that has done bulk of the hardcore local development on the vehicle and big numbers of those cars. It just means the data coming back is going to get them to the best answers faster than any other brand, any other team. Then you throw in the constant complaint that uh, they're being given favorable BOPs. And in theory, we got the answer in there somewhere. Um, SRA Smoking Puppy 841, any insight on why or how, in your opinion, on the one-off Ally Racing car, 
or Alley Racing Car, taking the number of full-season entrant Paul Miller Racing for said one-off at the Rolex. Uh, this is the Jimmy Johnson Action Express Racing number 48 Cadillac, taking Paul Miller Racing's long-standing number of 48 for the event. Um, and our pal says, unless, for instance, Paul Miller Racing missed a registration deadline, it feels like a quick PR grab at the loss of a loyal team. Well, Paul Miller Racing has been given or chosen number one, so that's not bad. Uh, that's a number that a lot of teams would like. I don't disagree with the kind of inside the paddock feeling of like, really? Uh, you're going to give Jimmy Johnson his NASCAR number that he's had forever for doing this one race at the Rolex 24 in a second Cadillac uh, compared to the team that he's getting it from, not having it for the full year. I think the Paul Miller team would have been part of that decision. I don't think IMSA would have just said, screw you. Um, I'd also say that there's no doubt that there, it is a little wonky in what has happened here. I'll also say that Jimmy Johnson's participation at the Rolex 24 will generate more awareness of IMSA and publicity and running that familiar number 48 uh, on the car as well than probably anything Paul Miller will do throughout the entire season entire season combined so i'm not saying that justifies it but if i'm looking big picture i say giving that to jimmy letting that be a comfort point and a promotional point for the nascar fans and outlets we're hoping to get in to help make a big deal out of a race that is certainly going to do a lot more than not letting him have the number um i'm going to go to the last question here that we will take and this you have sent in matt mcdonald i apologize how many times resubmitting Graham <laughs> I didn't make the last time or the last time or the last time he says it is still my first question uh if I haven't had the two I've submitted answered yet uh he says sorry yeah no nah, I know so I'm sorry Matt uh I suck uh he says the Mazda RT24P DPI has always been the best looking car and now that Multimatic Correct. is running the show it's actually been as fast as it looks because I'm curious what all has changed since the beginning of the program he says I even went back and watched the uh uh, video that I did with James Hinchcliffe, which he hosted a tech tour of the car in 2017 and reread your tech profile article from around the same time. Uh, he says, how much of the stuff shown has changed to make the car what it is today? And how much have they had to go back to the drawing board on the car since 2017? Or was it all just dialing in the details, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he also mentioned it'd be a great article idea to uh, compare the tech specs of the car from its woefully slow uh debut to the car that won at sebring that's awesome by the way um also says to us great to hear you guys shouting out charlie martin i hope it becomes a trend in the next few years to start seeing more trans and gnc folks in racing matt you win and you win and you win thank you for being on me to get to this so the main thing, and we can certainly dive into some deeper detail, this is a great idea for an article. So uh, I'm going to make a note here to try and spool something up to do just that. How far has the car come? I can tell you the main thing that happened was a complete change of the rear suspension. So the car that debuted in 2017 that they shut down, was it even halfway through the year, Graham? Um they decided to pull the plug on that campaign, come back in 2018, 
with a Yoast involved, but really Multimatic is the one that was fully um, charged with updating the RT24P. They spent that second half of the 2017 season, Matt, doing a lot of things. I know it's a generic answer, but doing a lot of things. But the biggest physical change to the car is the type of suspension which you saw in that video, which, uh, I mean, if you remember the front suspension, which is still used, um, the rear suspension was effectively the same as the front. And they found way too many problems with it. There was not enough torsional rigidity. Uh, things were flexing and moving and just not happy, as I was told. So what they did was remove the very unique Riley uh, suspension. It, it Granted, it's the same style front and rear as the car debuted. The change they made was to throw away the rear portion of that and then just go to a very typical, traditional rocker arm uh you know uh, bell crank rocker arm push rod uh damper arrangement so what you would see at the back of basically every other prototype that the rt24p did not have on debut in 2017 they said we're gonna make it look like every other prototype in the field whether it's dpi or lmp2 uh or heck lmp3 so that was the biggest change and everything that I heard said, boy, uh, we got the torsional rigidity and stiffness. Nothing was flexing like we uh, uh, we found. Drivers said the back of the car was more predictable. It just lots of good things that came from that. There are many other things that have happened, but in the interest of time, and this not being the final episode of the show due to yep. my murder uh, by yep. my wife. At the hands of Mrs. Pruitt. Yep. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say great idea on the article. And I will try and get that done uh, soon. So thank you, Matt, for your patience and great question. Graham Goodwin, where do we go? Well, we'll be going, chez uh, moi, uh, to Weck, Aslam's Elms, and Aco, the world of ACO rules racing. And it's time for you to serve them towards me, my friend. Coming first to the plate, Clement Rosin asks... Since Alpine is committed to a grandfathered LMP1, is it reasonable to assume that they will continue their involvement in the top class in the future? And if so, would that be LMDH or Hypercar? Uh, yes and no, I think is the answer. So uh, there's, I think there's been a bit of a misunderstanding from some about the status of this program. Uh, Alpine is indeed part of the Renault, the Renault-Nissan empire. This is Philippe Signot and his loyal backers from the Alpine faction within that company um, trying to catch the attention of this, you know, conglomerate with the opportunities that they believe uh, are offered to that brand in global sports car racing to help them to break through. Is this a multi-multi-million euro full factory uh you know, uh, exploration in that marketplace. No, it isn't. This is the opportunity presented by the availability of a, we hope, ironclad, reliable, uh, orbit now grandfathered LMP1 car into the hypercar class for what is very likely to be a single season. This is Signatech and other elements within the wider partnerships that they've got looking to catch the eye. It's why we've continually said 
BOP for that car against the Totas in particular is going to be absolutely key. Does that mean that I'm counting out Renault being back in 22 or 23? I think 23 is probably more um, realistic with the Alpine brand. But in a not a dissimilar way that we, we mentioned earlier uh, about uh, McLaren, they've got a very high profile, very high concentration of effort, budgets and talent um, going into the rebranded for 2021 Alpine F1 efforts. Big change in management there as well. Um, I think I would, I would kind of quantify it like this. There is hope that Renault and Alpine might spot the opportunities that the other have. There is absolutely no confirmation and it would be absolutely incorrect to make an assumption that this is something that has been signed off by Renault with a major budget attached to it. This is opportunistic. It's correctly opportunistic. And the people behind it, I think, are to be applauded, be applauded for that effort. It does add, I think, a bit of spice to the season, um, uh, to season to come. But it's one of those ones where we are going to hashtag wait and see to see whether or not Renault uh, pull <laughs> pull resources together and get something together for 2023. I hope they do. I think it would be a great move. And again, the final point here, MP, is should they do so for what, let's remind listeners again, would be the centenary race for uh, the Le Mans 24 Hours, the prospect of having two of the biggest French makes in Peugeot with a hypercar and Renault Alpine with something would indeed be a mouth-watering prospect. I'm compelled to mention, Graham, that in my household, the word Renault was never pronounced. It was Renault. 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 That's the only Renault. way I'd ever heard the word pronounced until I think God I bless got America. into God bless America. sporty car racing. Uh, Clement is back. What will be the role of Sauber Engineering in the Glickenhaus program? Very simple and has been for a long time. Hospitality. Rolled, <laughs> it was rolled into uh, stories that did the rounds about um, partnerships with Lickenhaus. I mean, the Sauber side of things, one is no surprise. Two has been known for some very considerable time. I can recall talking to Jim Lickenhaus at the Nürburgring. Uh, this feels like it was very very early on i mean just after they announced their intention to do the top class uh effort at that stage yeah we were, it was before alfa romeo were being mentioned as an engine partner at that stage i can tell you right now uh amongst the people that jim was talking to were audi about providing uh, an engine in the back of his top class car and at that stage uh, we were talking about the pr- prospects of getting involved with sauber why sauber have a very advanced um organization on the aero front it will be entirely to do with the aero wind tunnel etc etc a lot of the big names you'll see particularly in formula one uh, i've got all sorts of kind of angles that they're able to offer to um monetize the technology that's involved in these f1 efforts i mean a couple of other examples mclaren huge uh, part of the McLaren Empire's income is provided through the electronics side of things, including spec 
uh, ECUs for many series. Uh, look at someone like Williams. They may well be bottom of the tree at the moment in terms of F1, but their advanced engineering uh, side of things uh, services a huge number of programs, some of which you will never, ever hear. But again, aero and uh, the design side of things, the CAD side of things, uh, CNC and uh, the way in which we can get rapid prototyping done, all those sorts of things comes through um, the really cutting-edge side of things in the top end of motorsport. And there's there's many, many other projects, small and large, and not just into motorsport, things like defense as well, um, where you'll find all sorts of potentially quite strange-sounding names that, uh, that actually emerge as being... We, we saw this, didn't we, with Pratt & Miller, with the, the change in that company's ownership, MP. And the reason that Oshkosh got involved in that principally is to do with the defense uh, part of the business, not remotely unusual uh, to see that that kind of thing. So, uh, yep, Sauber, though, uh, my understanding is principally here to do with the uh, developments and testing of the aerodynamic part of that package. I just saw a headline here. It looks like my president has been given two peaches that's nice oh, of them. I mean, people, nice, you know, yeah. look, it's, well, you know, it's good for the body. Is that one each for the two guys that got elected in that runoff from I, uh, the peach date? I'm not even sure where they ran to, but hey, I wish someone would give me two peaches. Uh, the last one that has been bolded by the delightful ginger that we know as Ryan Kish. Rob He's Horn says, yeah. what are the numbers looking like for the Le Mans Cup? And we've put an apostrophe between N and S in Le Mans Cup. So, hey, hopefully more GT3s this year. Thanks for the great show. Uh, The answer is to be determined. And a lot of that reason is there will be teams that I I think we're going to get to the stage where ELMS is oversubscribed again this year. Um, There's a few movements that I'm at the moment tracking in LMP2. Uh, One positive, one negative. Uh, some strangeness going on with who is running what car this year. Uh, so I think we're going to be somewhere between the 15 and the 20 mark in terms of LMP2s. Uh, GTE looking positive as well. And uh, again, something we've run, run on twist before. I think we, we have got the prospect of a couple of cars at least doing double duty for most, if not all, the season between the European Le Mans series and WEC because of that produced calendar you referred to um, that's impacted other things, including the Rolex 24. That will determine, because the way it's been explained to me repeatedly is, ELMS is determined in terms of the entry by LMP2 first, then GTE, and whatever space they have left is allocated to the LMP3 teams. That determines how many teams are going to be permitted to join what will be another full grid, I believe, which, by the way, determines which teams are going to be given the option of ELMS or no ELMS and whether or not the prospect of doing Le Mans Cup fits their commercial bracket. So I'm not expecting um, dramatic changes in terms of numbers for uh, Le Mans Cup. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not the, the explosion of interest for GT principally from teams from Europe in the uh, Asia Le Mans series has an impact in interesting people in having another crack through the Mon Cup. I've got a couple of teams who've spoken to me to say they're looking at it and looking at it very carefully that have not been um, part of that, that, uh, that, 
program in the past. Uh, some changes in driver rankings, rules in other series have got people scrambling for options at the moment. So I think we might see some interesting stuff coming forward. But sadly, got to predicate all of this on the basis that the logistics of this are not going to be simple. Um, you know, I think we've got some very worried British teams at the moment in terms of the regulations that apply and that the sheer frankly administrative incompetence that applies to our border controls at the moment that's had its impact already on de-risking championships i'm hoping we're not going to see major impacts on the efficiency of teams being able to kind of cross into mainland europe and back um that might cramp their uh, style and their plans um i think frankly if you're in the low countries and you've got workshop space available for rent. I think there's going to be a number of British teams that might be looking for a second home right now. Uh, but I expect it to be healthy numbers again for Le Mans Cup, uh, Rob. Uh, I expect that to be the case in both LMP3, where there's no shortage of teams looking to step into uh, the international scene with LMP3, particularly as the new breed of uh, LMP3s matures into a second year. GT3... <sighs> Well, with with so many options, uh, it's always the one where you look for a few outliers. We had a few that declared they were going to do it last year and didn't, um, with COVID coming on board. Um, I, I, I will be confident only at the point where, bluntly, I'm at the track and people turn up this year. Um, it's it's a tricky, tricky year to pull together uh, those kind of programs. But I expect we will have a better than good grid. Which of the uh, non-bolded remaining items are you going to, as I stutter, I'm drunk, I wish. Uh, what are we going to cover off before we move and start to wrap? Well, the Daniel Somerskill asks the most pertinent question that, that got in within a window of opportunity because he's asked a question that happened between Monday night and yesterday. Ooh. Daniel asks, how will the closure of the travel corridor between the UK and the UAE impact preparations for the Asian Le Mans series in Abu Dhabi in February? Could this result in some teams based in the UK not making the trip? Um, my understanding is all the teams will make the trip. So one of the, the marks, and, and of course something has changed dramatically since you asked the question, Daniel, I'll come to that. Uh, one of the marks of the way in which Asia Le Mans series stands out is, I can tell you this, every single team in the Asia Le Mans series was fully briefed and had an opportunity to ask and have questions answered about the changes that are now made before you, dear listeners, got to hear about it. I have known about the changes that were coming for Asia Le Mans series for a few days. Um, it was always there in the contingency plan. And for those that don't know, the big change that happened officially yesterday was uh, two changes. One is that it will start a week later. And the second change is that the first two races will now be at the Dubai Autodrome, where I'm heading off in just about an hour. Um, and we'll then move the following weekend. So it'll be four four-hour races in eight days will be the season. Uh, move off uh, on to the Yas Marina. The principal reason behind that is not the closure of the travel corridor. It's to do with the fact that the expectation that some, some uh, quarantine uh, uh, regulations would be lifted. 
did not occur because of the huge increase in COVID numbers in many places in Europe, including my fair isle. Uh, what that means is that to have unrestricted movement in Abu Dhabi, which is about an hour and a half from where I am right now, uh, you need to have spent 10 days in the Emirates um, self-isolating if you're in Abu Dhabi or just being in the Emirates if you're here in Dubai. So it made perfect sense effectively then Teams are becoming a little early. There's a little bit of testing available before the Dubai races. We'll go through the Dubai weekend to midweek, and then everybody, like a desert caravan, will be load, reloading the containers and heading off down the highway a couple of hours down the road. Uh, it is a uh, remarkably sensible set of moves. Um, it has, by the way, had another knock-on effect uh, because of – Again, these rapidly changing times, one of the impacts that had actually uh, had begun to bite was that was going to make life difficult, not necessarily just for people from Europe, but particularly for people from Japan. And we have multiple entries from Japan uh, this season again. Um, and what it means is that, uh, that there was a closure of a travel corridor that was only lifted and I don't know the exact details here, but right at the beginning of February, which meant that some of the Japanese drivers in particular were going to find it very difficult to do it. And in fact, Car Guy, the winners of the title in GT two years ago, two seasons ago, um, Kimura-san, who owns that team, announced publicly through his social media that because of that, uh, he would not be able to do the Asia Le Mans series. So car, so car guy that pulled out of the WC because of travel difficulties, then were forced into a position where they were pulling out of the Asia Le Mans series because of travel difficulties. But because we then shifted the dates back by just a few days, he was then back in. So within, I, I think it's about 10 days, he'd pulled out of two championships and then re-entered a, uh, the second one of them. Uh, it is th that's a really good example, I think, of just how crazy at the moment having to move with the rapidly changing situation is proving to be. We can't, MP, be a million miles away from the point where we've got an administrative disaster on our hands for, for you know, an event or a series by just the fact that something we'd regarded as being a given – is going to be withdrawn. It's going to happen. There's no doubt in my mind that it's going to happen. We're seeing much the similar kind of thing happen with Formula One as well, with already a bit of a rapid fire change of their calendar. Um, moving a bit further down here, let's have a quick look. Uh, Toyota, says Doug Bonham, will be unveiling its LMH this week, a part of the Toyota uh, Auto Salon. That is the uh, virtual Toyota Auto Salon. Do expect any shocks to the driver lineup? Um, along with some of the surprise names potting up, popping up in the auto Ebdo for Peugeot. Uh, last question is Glickenhaus. Any word on their announcement period or rumoured pilots? I think we're both going to keep our powder dry on that yeah. latter one, aren't <clears> we? <throat> uh, Boy, yeah, I'm, I guess I fell asleep or I was, I was nodding off because I had too much of my 12-ounce beer. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, I'm staring at a list that has all the Glickenhaus driver names on it. Uh, yep. It's always fun when I see Jim's name pop up on my phone. I think anybody who gets a call from Jim, like genuinely goes, oh, this is awesome. This is going to be fun. We're going to talk a lot of crap, yeah. uh, and most of it we can't use at the moment. So, yeah, uh, staring at the list of their drivers, Jim asked me, you know, shared it in confidence, said, hey, hold on to it. Also asked, what do you think? 
And I said, of the drivers listed, and again, we try and be as polite as we can. I said, I think you nailed the list. There's only one that I question whether they yep. would be retained for a second season. And yep. uh, I, I'll leave it at that. Maybe we'll yep. get into that when things become formal. Maybe we won't. But uh, oh, I, I but and you, I think, are aware of it as well. And I think we'd both agree yep. uh, Jim's not effing around. No, 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 no. We're, we're not. Uh, look, I'll tell you right now, there's not a single name on that list that uh, would would be a... All right, I'll go ahead and give some of them away. Scott okay. Pruitt, Hurley Haywood, Willie T. Huh. Ribs, Jeff Brabham, yeah. Jochen Mass, yeah. uh, Henri Pescarolo. Yes. Uh, None of those people are on that list. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I was just naming <laughs> but, uh, old sports car drivers. But, but Doug, going back to the, st- the, the opening part of the question, uh, I think I, I've been a slightly mischievous boy on the um, on the old social media in the last uh, day or so, just pulling the leg of my good friends and colleagues at Tota because we're racing. The the clue to what you'll hear about drivers is very simple. Tota have been very active indeed on social media, talking about the kind of testing and teasing the GR, the the Groot, um, the Groot, uh, and I think the clue is very simple. We've got uh, short video clips of the drivers having tested the car. All six of the 2020 Toyota drivers are featured in that video having tested that car and saying how much they're looking forward to racing it. I think that's a pretty big clue that unless Toyota are going to shock us and say there's three cars, that all six of their drivers are retained for 2021. And I think that's correct. Um, So... There will be some interesting details to come uh, on Friday, but I don't expect anything other than retention of the crews. Uh, what we don't know, of course, is whether or not they're going to be still uh, racing with each other in the same cars. That could be an interesting aspect of it, whether or not they shake up the uh, the the pack a little bit. But uh, no, I don't expect any major surprises from Toyota. The Autoebdo list I think is pretty solid. I think that's uh, that's quite. If you've not read it, please do. Uh, you don't have to understand French terribly hard to pick out the names that are in that. And if you are struggling, uh, online translation apps are available. But uh, you know, kudos to uh, Thibaut at uh, Autoebdo for pushing that one. Um, yeah, I think we've got some exciting times coming on the driver front. So it's good to see that some different names in amongst them rather than the same names effectively plug and played from one uh, top class into another um just having a quick uh, let's have a quick what have we got here uh geronimo lazos second try given the previous lousy job done to equalize hybrids and non-hybrids do you think it's likely it'd be done properly for lmh and lmd husky um i'm yes. hoping so I think it'll be faultless. I don't think we'll have anything to complain or comment about at all. And the weekend sportscast will become dull on the BOP-ness front. Um, it is remarkable, by the way, MP, how little we talk about BOP anymore. Remember, we used to have that rule three times. We've not had to pull the three-time rule in for a remarkable period of time. I'm sure that will be the same through this process 
with LMDH, sorry, LMH and uh, grandfathered LMP1. And I don't expect in any way in 2023 for us to be um, possessed by that as a, as a standing topic at all. I, I suspect we'll never mention BOP again. We will spend 2023 mourning the death of BOP. Uh, <laughs> no longer needed. The car, I mean, you just got them right. And, uh, yeah, problem solved. So, I mean, I can't wait to get to 2023. Uh, what else do we have in your category A, or are we be you and done? I'm trot through a few. Joachim Bernardson, who's a name I've not seen before, Joachim, you're very welcome, asks, would it be a positive effect on a manufacturer like Koenigsegg to enter the hypercar class, in your opinion, uh, or would LMDH be a better choice? It'd certainly be cheaper, I think, although uh, Jim Glickenhouse would disagree with me on that front. Um, Jim, very insistent that uh, his budgets are very LMDH-like for his um, LMH. And my guess is, if you asked him nicely, I'm sure he'd sell you a LMH tub to construct your car around. I think it comes down to this. Bring your money, you take your choice. And uh, would I love to see Koenigsegg um, in racing? Yes. Do I think it makes financial sense to them? Unless they've got a business case around racing. No, it doesn't. They're a boutique manufacturer, sell a remarkably small amount of cars. There's therefore a finite amount of money they can raise from doing that. Is them putting a Le Mans hypercar multi-million euro effort together make commercial sense for them? No, it doesn't. As simple as that. Unless you're in the business of selling those race cars for profit, I don't see what that does for Glickenhaus, uh, for Glickenhaus, for Koenigsegg. Koenigsegg. Did you just give away make... a secret? No. Is it the it Glickenseg? Just... <laughs> Do we have something coming there? The Koenigshaus, yes. Ooh. Um, th- ooh. Mm. Uh, but, you know, could there be an opportunity there for them to enter the race car market as a commercial prospect? Yes, there could, with, you know, capital C-O-U-L-D. Um, Am I expecting them to emerge? I'm not, is the honest answer. Uh, I'm not sure that that actually makes sense in the current marketplace. Um, we've got questions from Rob Borland from Doogie Davis. Um, and for that matter, from Gary Quartermain. Uh, all asking uh, are basic questions around um, the – apologies. It's Damien Peachman and Rob Ball are asking questions around the uh, – prospects for the WC opener to Gary Quartermain and not dissimilar question here, particularly uh, focusing on Glickenhaus and saying they'll miss Sebring. Do we expect Sebring to happen? I don't, I think at this stage. Uh, I, I'm very sad that uh, we'll be missing that. IMSA, um, yes. WEC, no. Yes, I, can't, I think that's c- completely correct. I strongly suspect that's what we're going to see confirmed. Where do I expect we're going to be going? I, I, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if it's Portimao, if it's Barcelona, if it's Paul Ricard. I know Jim Glickenhouse has mentioned the possibility that it could be Monza. Um, I think that's less likely. Um, I think there'd be smart choices. I think right now de-risking a program is a smart thing to do. Uh, we just need to know quickly. The teams need to know quickly so that they can actually start to plan for a known known rather than unknown unknown. Oh, we're back to that stuff again. That just makes my brain hurt. 
Yes. Known. Uh, no, known. No. 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 Damien's question about uh, Dubai latest edition of the Age of the Monsters calendar. It is simply to do with travel restrictions and the need to self-isolate or to quarantine within the uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, that's it. Um, I'll say one final time, kudos to you, Cyril. I know you listen to the show uh, for having that contingency plan in place and for rolling it out um, quickly, decisively, and with excellent communications to your partners and to your uh, customers as well as the staff involved here. There is a huge amount of work now going on in the background to make sure that everything is changed around and uh, everybody will be here in just a few weeks' time. By the way, good news for three teams who are here this weekend, the Dubai 24, Optimum with their McLaren, Herbeth Racing with their, or Herbeth Motorsport rather, uh, with their Porsches, GPX Racing with their Porsche, because all of a sudden, albeit on different rubber, they're going to get a heck of a lot of practice at a circuit they weren't expecting to be coming back to race at again because all three of those teams are doing double duty for the uh, Dubai 24 hours this weekend and for the Asia Le Mans series in just a few weeks' time. And with two of them, by the way, Herbeth and Optimum, next weekend in Abu Dhabi for the Abu Dhabi six hours of non-championship race from Graventic. So lots of racing going on in the Gulf region. Um, last week with the Gulf 12 hours, this weekend with Dubai 24, next weekend with the Abu Dhabi six hours, and then a week or two's gap before we're back again for the Asia Le Mans series. Um, we're into Hegener Alma, friend. We are, and we're also at nearly an hour and a half. And I fear oh. that my life, uh, in terms of being something that uh, is in the affirmative, uh, might be in jeopardy if we go too much longer. So... Should we just rip into a two or three and say goodbye and I will get Ryan to clip what we've got in general and fun for next week? I think that sounds good, if not well, if not okay. Um, I do need to mention, since we're going to do that, just scrolling through, uh, Seamus Cunningham. Love your question. Feels like you've sent it more than once. I apologize. I haven't gotten to yep. it. Uh, Drew Wetzel, newish listener. Uh, great question. Dan Rice uh, wanting to know about the most hated three words, BOP. Um, Joe Watney, Kevin Shankweiler. Kev, I don't know if we've had a question from you before. I've never seen that name before. Uh, Hello, Matt Kevin. Anderson, you've got a gr- awesome question about my home track series uh, point. Uh, Jose Tapia. I don't think we're ever going to answer this about the smart EQ42 E Cup race in Italy because I don't believe that this is actually real. Uh, but I love the fact that you've sent it in a third time, thinking that either Graham and I have the li- least freaking idea what it is. You know, um, what? I'm going to look. In, I'm going to look into it now. I'm oh, gonna we're going to do gonna the Jose it. Tapia episode where we dedicate an hour and a half to this because it feels like this is some sort of, there's a plot behind this. I don't know. Um, uh, Damien Peachman, you are a man of many questions, and we love you for that. Uh, Lance Snyder, eh, I don't know if love is the word. Occasionally like, we'll, we'll go that far. Uh, Eric Harkrader, uh, you got a question about our pets yet again. Should I tell him about what we're doing, or should I keep that as a surprise, Graham? What, Did I even wait, tell wait. you? I don't even know if I no. told you. We've got a no. we've got a special version of uh, the the weekend sports cars logo coming that incorporates 
your amazing Husky Oscar and my two shitheads by the name of Rocky and Rosie, <laughs> my two cats. Uh, so yeah. Fantastic. Um, uh, I mean, again, we got seriously Dan Rice, you got more great stuff here. Ben Gooding, uh, you know, Ben Gooding, uh, you ask, as it was postponed from December, is the hashtag Golf 12 Hours the first motor race of 2021 or the last one of 2020, Graham? Uh, what do you think? Uh, well, here's the thing. I mean, officially, despite the fact that all the races for the Asian Le Mans series are taking place in 2021, it is still the 2020, 2021 um Asia Le Mans series, and that does have one impact that is very important. It means that the driver gradings from last year count this year, even though we're taking place in February 2021. There you go. There's a mind melter for you. So here's what I might suggest. Gary Quarterman, you sent in something. Rob Ball, you've got more questions. Uh, Joachim Bernardson, again, I don't know if we've had one from you before, Joachim, but thank you. Um, why don't we do this? Doug Bonham. I mean, again, this is stupid. We're going to have a special category next week. Uh, well, yeah, we're going to have a special category next week. I realize we might have to do two episodes because we've got Roller, Roar coming up and you're coming off of a race. We'll have that talk. We've just got a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm home Sunday morning, so we, it's all good. Well, plus 14 days, no? Uh, quarantine? or 10 anyways we'll see how you might have to swim home um we're gonna ask our man ryan kish to create a hey you idiot pruitt would you get to my damn question category and basically just strip mine everything here uh that we didn't really get to um in Hagenerau or fun we'll with it next week we'll yeah with it. we'll lead and it'll be the lowest rated show that we've done because it's <laughs> i mean they keep, it's keep getting lower but that's okay but yeah um it's 8 30 p.m here i'm a half hour ish past having to get my wife uh hooked up with dinner um i need to go so we're gonna do that ryan uh please yes pruitt you idiot category is number one and, you know, for the dear listeners who are still here, if you want to pile on, because I didn't get to your IMSA yeah. question or Graham didn't get to your WEC Aslam Elms ACO question, send those back in with a call-out of Ryan, put this in, hey, Pruitt, you stupid idiot category that we're going to start off with. So since I opened the show, you close the show, Graham. You are the almighty caboose. So why don't you speak out of that caboose and take I'll, I'll us be, home? I've been called worse. Not not much worse, but there you go. Um, it has been uh, another tumultuous week in all sorts of ways. Thank you so much, everybody, for continuing to send in too many questions for us to use. Uh, thanks to you too, MP, and to the lovely Mrs. P, um, for finding the time in a hectic schedule to get this hour and a half or more out of the dinner time um we're going to first before we say goodbye say thank you again of course to cooper tires to justice brothers and to torontomotorsport.com for their continued support for the weekend sports cars and for the marshall pruitt podcast i've been graham goodwin he's been marshall pruitt this has been the weekend sports cars and we will see you next week